Hey, Parfio, I want to introduce you to my, really one of my best friends. I would call him my brother. Um, you've heard me talk about uh, the Stinklings, which is a, a group of four of us pastors that decided about uh, 12 years ago to band together and walk through the journey of life together. And um, you're going to get to hear one of them preach today. You haven't met him before. And I asked my buddy, Greg Nettle, he's one of those guys that knows more about me probably than anybody in the world. I and mean, he's literally like my brother, obviously from another mother. When you see him, he's different complexion. But that's beside the point. We are close together in so many ways. Um, we've lived life together. We're walking this journey together. He's kept me on board and I him. And I really wanted you to have a chance to meet him. Um, he was at River Tree Christian Church when we first started doing this, leading a church. A uh, great church like ours in the Cleveland, Ohio area. And uh, then he was called to go lead uh, Stadia Church Planting, which he and I were both already involved in as far as planting churches around the world. And as a part of that, then also is, is partnered up with Compassion International, which again, we were already partnered up with in sponsoring kids. And what we did in Ecuador, uh, you've seen the video to that maybe uh, during the Daring Faith thing, uh, we went in and we planted a church and a school and sponsored kids all at the same time in Ecuador. We're doing it again in Brazil. It's been a part of the Daring Faith thing that we're doing. Um, and, and he's leading that. He's leading churches getting started all over the world and kids being sponsored all over the world because uh, we care about kids. And he just has a new book out called Small Matters. And um, he wants to talk to us today about that. I wanted him to preach to you. We're going to hopefully get a lot of people to sign up and, and be Compassion Kids sponsors like everyone in my family has been all of our life. It's changed our life. I'm going to challenge you to think about that right now. And I want you to please welcome one of my best friends in the entire world, Greg Nettle. <laughs> so Parkview, it is so good to be with you. And Tim is one of my best friends. I don't know what the, what's up with the complexion comments. Um, you know, Tim, the, his real problem is, is that we travel together quite frequently, and whenever we travel internationally, um, I get, for some reason, randomly selected at security frequently when I travel internationally. But, but the truth is, this is the truth about your pastor, um, it is not just the random selection, it's that Tim likes to play pranks. And so periodically, Tim will sneak something into my backpack that I'm carrying on the plane without my knowing it before we go through security. So it started off innocently enough years ago when he put a full water bottle in my backpack, right? And, you know, you can't get that so through security, and you have no idea how it got there, literally, but whatever, no big deal. Takes you a while. Tim won't come clean with that until several months later. That was okay. The steak knife the next time. Not so good. Um, but Tim, right, he's got to just keep escalating. Did you know that you cannot take a live frog through security in your backpack? Thank you, Tim. I found that out. But eventually with Tim, I always get home back to Cleveland, Ohio, um, home of the Cleveland Indians, of course. <laughs> Thank you. Any Cub fans in the house? Bite me. <laughs> yeah, I've been waiting to say that to you for a long time now. <laughs> 
so, you know, it was game seven, and I'm sitting with my eight-year-old son, Elijah, on our couch in our living room, and we're watching the end of game seven, and he's crying, and I'm crying. Thank you for that, too. And um, it's a bonding moment. And, uh, and in all seriousness, I did. I said to him, you know, I said, Elijah, um, I said, if we want to lose to anyone, and this is the way all of Cleveland feels, just so you know, if we have to lose to anyone, it's good that it's the Cubs. So we were, it's all good. Congratulations from Cleveland. Um, hopefully our turn is next time. Please, God, we've been praying that for a long time, as you know. But, you know, I explained to Elijah, too, I said, it's just a sport. In, in the scheme of things, it's just a small matter. It's no big deal. And the problem is a lot of times we take things that are small matters and we make them big matters. But a lot of times when we talk about small matters, um, those small matters actually really do need to become small matters, I mean, think about some small matters in your life uh, for just a moment. Um, have any of you ever had a blister on your foot, like on the heel, uh, toe, somewhere on your foot? You know, if you treat it right away, a blister on your foot is no big deal. It's a small matter. Band-Aid, some Vaseline, it goes away. But I was trekking through the mountains at 15,000 feet, multiple miles not too long ago, carrying a heavy backpack. And I have to tell you that I had blisters on both my heels that burst as I was climbing and turned to blood blisters. Those in turn burst. And... It was excruciating for me to continue trekking through the mountains. Those small matters, I'll tell you what, small matters when that happens. Or how many of you like spi any spicy food lovers in here? Yeah, okay, good. Do you ever like red pepper chips, you know, red pepper chips on your lasagna, sprinkle it out a little shaker, and I love spicy food, spicier the better. So, you know, red pepper chips, if you get just one, it's just a small matter, right? No big deal. But if you're with your wife at the local pizza shop and, and you're sprinkling red pepper chips on your slice of pizza and all of a sudden one of those little small matter pepper chips flies up out of the shaker and it goes in your eye, <laughs> small matters. I'll tell you what, I'm screaming running to the bathroom to get that red pepper chip out of my eye. Or how about a splinter? No big deal, right? You get a splinter in your finger somewhere, you just get the tweezers, you get it out. It's a small matter. Unless you get a splinter in your uvula. Do you know what your uvula is? It's that little thing that hangs down in the back of your throat. So I was eating at Olive Garden. It's a true story. Egg, <laughs> I, egg, Olive Garden's going to call me, I know. And um, <laughs> eating at Olive Garden, and I'm eating eggplant parmesan. And somehow part of the stem had not been taken off the eggplant. It got into the eggplant parmesan. And a splinter from the uh, stem actually lodged in the bottom tip of my uvula when I swallowed it. Right, so it's just a small matter, little splinter. So have you ever, <laughs> my guess is you never have tried to get a splinter out of your uvula, but I have. And the way you do that is with tweezers. And so you have to stick the tweezers in the back of your throat, down your throat. And you know what happens every time you touch your uvula with the tweezers by accident? It just involuntarily springs back up, right? Okay, and then there's the gag reflex. Yeah, that's, let me tell you, that little small matter, small matters, right? Okay, when it comes to children, when it comes to children, throughout the United States and around the world. Many people can look at kids and just say, oh, they're just small matters. But when Jesus came to this earth, when Jesus walked this earth, and now when Jesus walks this earth through you and through me, through Parkview Christian Church, I want you to know that small matters. Small matters when it comes to children. There's this account of Jesus uh, from his life in Matthew chapter 18. I want to I read this to you. It says, at that time, the disciples who came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So Jesus calls a little child to him, and he places the child amidst them in their crowd. And Jesus said, truly, I tell you, unless you become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. 
Therefore, whoever takes the lowly place of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Look at this. Underline this. Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Who said those words? Who said those? Jesus. Look at them again. Whoever welcomes a child in my name welcomes who? Welcomes Jesus. This is an amazing theological point. Who, whoever blesses a child, when you, when you stoop down to speak to a child, when you, when you hug a child, when you embrace a child, when you speak words of life into a child, who are you loving? Who are you blessing? Jesus. An, an incredible theological truth in that verse. And then Jesus speaks some of the harshest words that we have recorded in all of Scripture. He says, if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone, a huge rock, hung around their neck, and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. That's serious punishment. Beware that you don't look down on any of these children. For I tell you that in heaven, and this is, this is you don't hear this preached about very much, that in heaven their angels are always in the presence of my heavenly Father. What this passage, what Jesus is telling us is that, that every child that you encounter, every child around the world has an angel, not a cute little cherub, but a mighty warrior angel in heaven that's looking out for that child and saying, God, we need to take care of that one. God, look at that one. God, we need to wrap our arms around that one in a special way. And when we mess with the child, we're messing with that angel and with God in heaven because when it comes to children and God, small matters. Small matters. And we have to ask the question, what does that mean to us? The so what, right? Well, I was traveling recently, and before I went to bed, I put my phone beside the bed, plugged into the wall charger, of course, and had my alarm set. And at 3 a.m., of all things, my phone starts buzzing repeatedly which is awful in the middle of the night. And I wake up and I think, who in the world's calling me? And I think it's probably Tim Harlow because that's the kind of things he does. And so I get up out of bed. I look at my phone. It's not Tim Harlow. It's not anyone calling me. It's an Amber Alert. You'll have Amber Alerts in Chicago? Okay, so it's when a child goes missing or a child is abducted. And so on my phone, it gives this little girl's name. She's eight years old, and she's been abducted. The last time she was seen, it was, she was in a, some year of a red Mustang. And, and it says, you know, if you know anything about this, you know, call in and, and let them know. And I'm looking at this, and I'm, I'm, I'm far from home. I have no idea who this little eight-year-old is. I don't even know anyone that drives a red Mustang. And so I'm a little miffed that I've been awakened out of my good night's sleep. I put the phone back on the bed. I get back in bed and think, I've got to get back to sleep. And then I think, oh, wait, I follow Jesus. Um, I should pray for that little girl. And so I actually said just kind of a quick, brief prayer. God, help that little girl to get home safely. Um, I pray that she's okay. Amen. Help me sleep. And I go back to bed. The next morning, I wake up very early, and God just totals me. Just totals me. And he, said, he asked me, this is why I sensed him, asked me, Greg, what if that little girl were your little girl? What if that was your little Tabitha when she was eight years old? The little girl that you sang, you are my sunshine to every night as you tucked her into bed the little girl that you prayed for every day as she went off to school that she would be safe and be a good friend to others what if that was Tabitha that had been abducted that was missing Greg 
So here's the deal, Parkview. If that were my little girl and the Amber Alert came out and it said little Tabitha, eight years old, she's in this red Mustang, here's what I would want you to do. And I mean this. Here's what I want you to do. I would want you to get your butts out of bed. Every single one of you. I'd want you to get your butts out of bed. And at the very least, would you be willing, I'm asking you, every single one of you, would you be willing, if you knew it was my daughter, eight years old, that I loved that way, would you be willing to get down on your knees beside your bed? And would you pray all night through the night with me that my little girl would come home safe? That my little girl who was lost would be found? Would you do that with me? And if you had a car and you were in the area, would you be willing to get out of your homes? And I know it's cold out in Chicago in this time of year, but would you be willing to go out? Would you drive around and would you look in, down the back streets and look for the red Mustang? And would you look for my daughter walking in some woods or along the road? Would you help me find her? I'm asking you. And then God said, Greg, that's how I feel about every child on the planet. And I went, oh. Every little boy, every little girl who's lost and far from home, God says, I love them that much. There's an amber alert out for every one of those child to bring them home to Jesus Christ. And I'm asking you, Greg, will you help me? And I think that's what God's asking every single one of you, every single one of us today. Will you help me, God says. Will you help me bring those children who are lost home? Will you help me find those who are wandering around? And so what do we do? At a practical level, what do we do? Well, the single most effective way of reaching people with the good news of Jesus Christ, of reaching those who are lost, is through new church planting. It just is. It's true throughout the United States. It's true around the world. And so, Parkview, let me just say on behalf of Stadia, the organization that I get to serve, let me just say thank you. You've been planting churches with, with Stadia and other partners throughout the United States, you planted a church with us in Ecuador, and I actually got to visit that church just last year that you planted in a community where no church previously existed. And this is the truth. There were hundreds of children gathered at that church in the Ministries of Compassion International because of people like you, children who are being fed and clothed and educated, and most importantly, who are being brought home to Jesus. And that entire community is being transformed. So Parkview, thank you on behalf of all those kids in that community. I'm so excited about what you're going to be doing in Brazil. Do you know that in northern Brazil right now, I mean, I'm watching the Olympics and there's all this beautiful stuff going on, but the reality is, is that in northern Brazil right now, there are more than 6 million children living in extreme poverty in areas where no churches exist, and you, Parkview, are going to be planting churches there. So thank you, because you're changing the world and the lives of those children forever, and you have to know that small matters. I mean, I think back on my life. I go back to when I was 11 years old, and I grew up in this little town called Clinton, Ohio. Very small town. But I was fortunate enough that right across the street from our home was this little church called the Clinton Church of Christ, and that's where I went to church every weekend. Lots of times we'd just walk across the yard to the church. But I'll never forget when I was 11 years old, it was like yesterday, and the organist was playing the hymn of invitation. And at that hymn of invitation, God got a hold of my heart, and I tremblingly walked down to the front, and there was Pastor Norman at the front and he said Greg would you repeat after me and at 11 years old I said I believe that Jesus is the Christ the son of the living God and I accept him as the savior of my life and the Lord of my life and right then and there he put the white robe on me and we went into the baptistry and he baptized me into Christ and my life was forever transformed and I thought frequently 
Where would I be today if someone had not planted that little church in that little town years ago? How different would my life be? Well, flash forward, uh, fast forward just uh, quite a few years, and I'm in northern Ohio in the Cleveland area, and I'm leading a church very similar to Parkview. And one weekend I'm preaching and we're doing a a big weekend of giving your life to Jesus and being baptized into Jesus. And we had a pool set up in the auditorium. You guys have done that here. And and at the end I, I give a call to say, if you'd like to give your life to Jesus, if you'd like to take that step of baptism, I want you to come forward. And literally hundreds of people got in line. And I'm down in the pool baptizing person after person and shriveling up. And I look up and there at the top of the stairs is my 11 year old daughter, Tabitha. We got up and went to church that weekend. I had no idea she was thinking about giving her life to Jesus and being baptized. My dad's the guy in the red shirt in there. He was, he's her grandpa. And he was in the auditorium. He just ran in and jumped in with her. And so I got to baptize my little girl, Tabitha, at age 11. And I've often thought, where would Tabitha be today if someone years ago hadn't planted River Tree Christian Church? Where would she be? How different would her life be? And Parkview, I'm asking you, every single one of you, Where would you be if years ago someone had not planted Parkview Christian Church? I mean, we don't think about that very often. Where would your children, your grandchildren, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers that you love, where would they be if not for someone who planted, cared enough to plant Parkview Christian Church? It's why you all start new campuses, and you need to keep doing that. You need to keep planting churches throughout the United States and around the world, because that's how we bring those home who are so far from God. But I want you to notice something in the stories that I've been telling. I was 11 years old when I walked forward and gave my life to Jesus. How old was my daughter when she walked forward and did the same? 11 years old. There's something today we know as the 414 window, and it simply means this. It's true throughout the United States and around the world. 85% of those who make a decision to follow Jesus do so between the ages of 4 and 14. And a lot of people don't believe that. They're they're skeptical about that. And so one of the fun exercises I love to do, if you made a decision to follow Jesus between the ages of 4 and 14, would you raise your hand really high right now? Raise your hand really high. I mean, it's just staggering to me. Go ahead and think about the implications of that, that 414 window. I mean, what's, what's the most important ministry in the church then? And I know we, we always think, yeah, well, gosh, I'd love to be up on the platform leading worship or, you know, I'd love to be preaching or doing whatever. But wait, wait, in reality, where should the longest line be for ministry? In children's ministry. That's where the action's really happening. It's all important. Don't get me wrong. I value it all. But, but, but at River Tree, when I was leading, I'd, say, I'd tell people, look, we should have a line of people. We should never ask to ask for volunteers because 85% of those who make a decision between, to follow Jesus do so between the ages of 4 and 14. And so what would happen, we started asking at Stadia, what would happen if, if when we plant new churches, we would require those new churches to have an intentional and strategic plan to care for children? So you're combining new church planning with the 414 window. And what we've watched as we've partnered with you, Parkview, is that exponential kingdom results are taking place. And I don't believe it's because of the pragmaticness of reaching children. I think it's because children matter to God. And when we care for those who are close to the heart of God, God's blessing is just poured out all over them. Now let me take this just a step further. There's something known in our country as the one child, one church movement. I don't know if you've heard of that. 
It has to do with our foster care system. And if you know anything about our foster care system in the United States, and it's an absolute train wreck. Um, it's, it's a very complex issue. But this One Child, One Church um, initiative simply says this. It says that if in every church in the United States, like Parkview, every church though, if just one family, one couple, one individual would adopt a child from our foster care system, guess what would happen to our foster care system? It would empty, literally. Just one, one couple, one individual uh, from every church in the United States would adopt one child from foster care system. The foster care system would empty. Now, let's, let's keep playing this out. The Wall Street Journal about a year ago released a new, st new stat for the prison system in our United States. And the prison system in the United States, are, we have the largest incarceration system in the world. It's a monster problem for our country right now. But here's what Wall Street Journal uh, staggeringly released. 80% of our prison population has spent time, guess where? In foster care. 80% of our prison population has spent time in our foster care system. So play this out with me. If we as followers of Jesus actually took Jesus' words to heart and said, small matters, and we started adopting these kids out of foster care, the foster care system empties. In a generation, what happens to our prison system? It is decimated, right? I mean, in all likelihood, it is, goes down. Because here's the truth of this matter. As important as our government is, our government will not transform the United States of America. It won't. As important as military might may be, and it might be that important, military might will not save the United States of America. As important as big business is, and big business provides jobs, and that's important for our economy. But at the end of the day, big business is not the hope of the United States of America. The education system, and believe me, Education is so vital for everyone. But at the end of the day, education will not make America great again. You, do you know what will make America great again? It's the local church. It's you. It's people like you and me who are living out the followers of Jesus. That's what will transform the United States of America. Amen? And it matters because small matters. Every child is at risk. You have grandkids, they're at risk. You have your own children, they're at risk. Kids on your block, down the street, kids out here in the halls, kids in here right now sitting with you. It's at risk. Because there are dangers and diseases that we're aware of that stem from poverty, right? But when we cross this line of enough up into prosperity, there are dangers and diseases that stem from prosperity. And we don't think about that a lot. You see, it's easy for us when we start thinking about a little girl named Kazelle who's six years old and she lives in Bolivia. And little Kazelle goes to bed at night in her one-room dirt-floored shack barely a roof over her head. She lives with her mom and her older sister because dad's an alcoholic and he's left the home. He's AWOL. They're on their own. And Kazelle goes to bed at night and she can't even think about praying because she can't even begin to think about God. All she's concerned about is, is she going to have any food to eat tomorrow? She doesn't have to think about what she's going to wear tomorrow. She's not going to school. She only has one outfit. She wears the same outfit every single day. Kazelle goes to bed worrying about the boys across the street who bully her and do even worse things to her. 
Kazelle, little six-year-old Kazelle, who God loves and says, that's my little girl. Little Kazelle can't even think about Jesus because all she's worried about doing is surviving. But then come with me across the line of enough into the land of prosperity. And we'll talk about my little girl, Tabitha, again, who when she's 14, she goes to bed at night. And Tabitha, simply by virtue of being born in the United States, is prosperous compared to the rest of the world. But she's at risk as well because Tabitha goes to bed at night and she's at risk from boys bullying her on social media and saying awful things about her and to her. She's at risk from the dangers of the internet and all of the things that are available to her right there at the touch of her fingers. Little Tabitha goes to bed at night and she doesn't have to worry, really, she does worry about what she's going to wear to school tomorrow because she has such a closet full of clothing that she's trying to figure out what she needs and she needs more and more shoes because she has a sense of entitlement now. And I know none of your kids deal with entitlement, but, but mine do. And Tabitha goes to bed worried about the boys, and they, she should worry because I'm worried about the boys. And the further Tabitha moves from enough, the more prosperous she becomes in the United States, the more spiritual risk she becomes because she starts to think, I did this. I really don't need God. I don't need to depend on God. I have everything I need. And now she's at risk. And... We go back down to poverty, and you know, when we talk about extreme poverty, it's, it's a little easier for us to define extreme poverty. Extreme poverty globally is defined on someone living on less than $1.25 a day. Just $1.25 for everything. That's extreme poverty. But it becomes more difficult as we move up to enough and in the United States, because many of us don't consider ourselves necessarily prosperous, certainly not rich. But let me just ask you a few objective questions. How many of you slept in a bed last night? Raise your hand. How many of you had a roof over your head sleeping in that bed? How many of you got up this morning, you had running water, you took a shower or a bath? Raise your hand. Okay, if the person beside you did not raise their hand, you have permission to move. <laughs> How many of you went to the refrigerator and got milk or water or juice out of the refrigerator? Something to eat this morning. How many of you have shoes on your feet? Again, if you don't, please, you know, put them on. Okay, listen, if you answered yes to just those basic questions, you are wealthier than 80% of the people on the planet. That's statistically true. If you answered yes to those questions, you are wealthier, we are wealthier than 80% of the people on the planet. Let me, let me press you even farther. How many of you um, have money in a bank account, a, che a checking account, savings account? Um, how many of you, uh, raise your hand if you have money in your pocket, your wallet, your purse right now. Raise your hand really high. Okay, servers, we're going to take the offering now. So um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Tim wanted me to, and I said, no, dude, it is not happening. <laughs> how many of you have um, loose change in your car, you throw it in something in your car, um, loose change. Maybe you have a, a little bowl. Any of you have a little bowl on your dresser? You throw a loose change in there. Um, I, I, or maybe you're like me. I have a whole crock in my closet. Um, and, and, and I throw all my loose change in that, you know, in that bucket in my closet when I come home. And how many of you have loose change? Loose change. Okay. If you answered yes to those questions, you have now moved up. You are wealthier than 90% of the people in the world. You are now in the upper 
10th percentile, 10 percentile, if you answered yes to those questions. Because you know what people living in poverty don't have? Think about this moment. You know what they do? have no concept of? Loose change. They don't know what loose change is. People living in poverty, when they see a dime on the ground, they just don't walk over it. Like I do. And the challenge is that the further we get away from enough, okay? So the further we move into deep poverty, the more spiritually at risk we become. The more prosperous we come, and listen, I'm all about, hey, make as much money as you can, and I believe that's a biblical principle, but to bless people as much as you can, it's a great thing. Because the further we move away from enough towards prosperity, the more spiritually at risk we, we become. And the only thing we can do is bless others and move back towards enough. I mean, this is a biblical principle. In Proverbs chapter 30, we're going to throw these verses up here right now, and I'm going to read them to you. Proverbs chapter 30, verses 7 through 9. The author says, God, I beg two favors from you. Let me have them before I die. First, help me never to tell a lie. But second, listen to this. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. Why? Does the author say that? Because if I grow rich, I have the dangers and diseases of prosperity. I may deny you. Say, who's God? And if I'm too poor, I may steal and thus insult God's holy name. So when we talk about children at risk, this idea of small matters with children, what do we do? Let me tell you more story about Tabitha, 14 years old, living in prosperity in the United States. And little Gazelle living in poverty, six years old in Bolivia. But what happened is Tabitha sees a little packet, like you're going to see in just a few moments out in the hallways in the lobby, of children needing to be sponsored. And Tabitha sees little Gazelle, and she sponsors Gazelle. And little Gazelle down here, now living in poverty because a 14-year-old in the United States sponsored her, now gets educated and fed a hot meal. She gets to go to school. Turns out little Cazelle is really bright. She's top of the class. Go figure. Little Cazelle takes a step this way because she's not just surviving anymore. Now she can actually be part of a local church. She can start thinking about God. What happens to Tabitha at 14 years old? She starts thinking about what it means to be generous, what it means to be a follower of Jesus and care for children around the world the way Jesus did. She takes a step towards enough. The story gets even better. This is all true stories. I get a chance two years later, after my daughter Tabitha sponsors Cazelle, to go to Bolivia to this church plant where on the side, 14,000 feet on the side of this mountain, we're trekking up this mountain, desperate poverty. But there's this cinder block building, this brand new church where a church like you had planted this new church. And now it's the most beautiful building in the community, very appropriate. But on the roof, it was surreal. There was this brass band. And they were playing this old hymn, Power in the Blood. I don't know if any of you ever heard that, but it was surreal. And I'm walking up this hill with some other people like you who are going down to visit their sponsored children and the church they planted, which you'll be able to do as well. But as I'm going up, hundreds of children are lining this dusty dirt road coming down the hill. And they have like these Burger King crowns on but that are made out of construction paper, right? And they have these Fruit Loop necklaces around their necks. And as we walk up through them, they're cheering us and they're singing as we walk up. And all of a sudden, 
sudden, this little girl comes running down this dirt road, and she clings to my leg, and she knows who I am because my little girl who sponsored her has sent her pictures of my family. And it's little Kazelle. And so I walk hand in hand up this dirt road with Kazelle to her church that she now is part of. And I go in and I meet the church director. He's showing me little Kazelle's records. And I'm looking through her record charts. And right on June 6th, there's this little red heart sticker. You know, one of those little sparkly stickers. And it's heart. And I said to the church, I said, what does this little heart mean on June 6th? And the church director tells me that on June 6th, just a few weeks before then, that little Kazelle made a decision to give her life to Jesus Christ and become a follower, a disciple of Jesus. Because people cared enough to, this little 14-year-old girl cared enough that small matters. And so she sponsors Kazelle and Kazelle gets food and clothed and educated. And now she takes a step this way even further. She gives her life to Jesus and her life has changed now, not just on this earth, but for all of eternity. She's less at risk, right? And I get to go home and I get to tell my little girl, Tabs, who then is 16 years old, that I got to meet little Kazelle. And guess what, Tabitha? Kazelle gave her life to Jesus. And Tabs takes another step this way. And she becomes less at risk. And that's more of the story. But I'm going to let her tell you that story herself because Tabs has been gracious to travel with me. And would you welcome Tabitha, my daughter? Still my sunshine, but not 14 anymore. Um, tell us about yourself, Tabs. Hi, I'm Tabs. Um, I'm 18. I'm a senior in high school, and I'm graduating in a few months. Um, I go to a school for the arts, and I want to study fine arts, and I'm still looking at colleges because that takes a really long time. Yes, we're in the college uh, search right now. So, Tabs, um, you sponsor Little Kazelle in Bolivia. and Yeah, I sponsor three kids now. Right. So Tabs now sponsors three. So as a result of the Kazelle experience, Tabs takes more steps towards the center, right? Um, so Tabs, talk about the first experience. What prompted you to sponsor Kazelle? Yeah, so um, when I was 14, uh, the church back in Ohio, we were having a compassion weekend like Parkview is having. And um, my mom and I had gotten asked to pray over the packets and help out with that weekend. So we were praying over the kids, and um, I saw this one little six-year-old girl named Gazelle in Bolivia, and she had on a little tutu and a Hello Kitty shirt, and um, she reminded me of me. So I picked her up, and I brought her home. And so she came home, and I said, Tabs, I was getting ready to preach at our Saturday night services, and I said, Tabs, look, we sponsor a bunch of kids already as a family. Um, we can't sponsor another. If you're going to do this, you have to pay the $38 a month to sponsor Kazelle, and you have to, and what else was involved? Um, so you don't, it's not just the monthly $38. Um, you write to your sponsor kid, and they write you back, and they draw you pictures, and you can send them things, and you pray for them, and they pray for you. And so Tabs has never since then missed a payment on the $38 a month uh, in sponsoring Kazelle. Um, how'd you do that? You didn't have any money. Right. <laughs> um, I babysat a lot, mostly my brother. Um, and I helped out around the house with cleaning the windows and cleaning his office, which was much needed. And I never got paid enough for that because his office is the messiest room in the this house. This is that entitlement, entitlement thing I was talking about. It's the and, truth. Um, and, and so you sponsor these kids, and you've had really the privilege of traveling with me and, and mom, and you've met two of your sponsored children. What yeah. was that like for you? Um, 
the whole experience of meeting your sponsor child is really incredible because you spend months or you spend years writing to them and you get pictures of them and see their progress in school and everything. And then you go to where they live and you see how they live and um, just knowing that they're real and you can hug them and you can talk to them is incredible because you find out it's like meeting your pen pal. And what were the living conditions like? How different was it for you? Um, a house here, we wouldn't really think about it like this, but a house here is considered a mansion to a shack that they live in. So, I mean, dirt floors, um, wood walls, sticks maybe, probably not a bed. Yeah, no running water, no electricity in most cases. Right. Yeah. And so, Tabitha, it's important. I mean, obviously, Gazelle has moved towards enough um, because of sponsorship. But how has it affected your life? How has it changed you? Um, it's definitely opened up my eyes to um, learn about how people in Ecuador, Bolivia, Peru, how they live. Um, it taught me how God works all over the world and how he cares and takes care of these kids on the other side of the planet. It's just opened my eyes in a ton of different ways. Okay, so Tebs, there's lots of people, hopefully everyone here, who's thinking about sponsoring a child now. And can I do this? And what should I do? Um, what would you say to them? Go sponsor a child. Um, I was 14, and I have three now. Um, if I can do it, any, anybody in this room can do it. Anybody can do it. And, um, I mean, small does really matter. And everybody in here knows that now. So go sponsor a kid. All right. Thank you, Tabitha. Love you. So um, in, in just a, we're going to wrap up our teaching time now. In just a few moments, you are going to have the opportunity to leave. All the kids are from Brazil where you're going to be planting uh, churches. You'll be able to go visit these kids if you so choose to write to them. But you can go out. And, and I'm just going to be, you know, real flat out, you know, bold with you. I'm praying and have been praying and have lots of people praying across the country that you all, Parkview, will sponsor more than 1,000 children this weekend. And I know that's just a crazy number, um, but it's, we're on track to do that. And I think you can blow that out of the water. And the reason is, is because small matters. Because every child, I don't, you know, it, wouldn't it be great if we left here and there's not a single child out there on the tables anymore or on the walls? Because every one of those kids is one of those kids that God says, that little girl, that little boy, that's my boy, that's my girl. Amber alert, those children matter. And so I have... Uh, <laughs> this picture of BBs, and there are 18,000 BBs in this picture. And I, when I, before I leave today and fly back to Cleveland, I am going to dump these somewhere in Tim's office. And, um, <laughs> yep, yeah, he'll not be putting stuff in my backpack. Yes, he will, but uh, we'll just see how far he wants to escalate this. And uh, so the reason I have uh, these BBs is, you know, if you look at them, if you get one, it's just a small matter, right? No big deal. But there's 18,000 BBs literally in this picture right now. And the reason that I have these BBs is 18,000. Each BB represents the life of a child. Each BB. And here's the crazy part. Every 24 hours of every week of the year, every 24 hours, 18,000 children in the United States and around the world die from poverty or poverty-related preventable diseases. 18,000 every 24 hours. This auditorium, friends, seats 1,800 people. So imagine this. Um, we'd put kids under the age of 18 
we'd fill every single seat, no seat empty, and we'd put 200 more little kids up here on the platform. And we'd do that nine times every day, and all of those kids die. Nine times a day. And then tomorrow we'll get up and we'll do the same thing. I mean, it's unthinkable, isn't it? Especially when it's preventable. Now, the good news is that when God wrecked my heart about 12 years ago over children at risk, the number of BBs in the, in the picture was 31,000. So that's a yay God. A lot of people don't realize this, but we can end this in our generation. These are kids that God cares about because small matters. And just to kind of help us understand the magnitude... Every 24 hours. Oh God. You know, work in our hearts. We're praying for more than a thousand children this weekend, every single one of us, that will respond to the Amber Alert for your kids. We respond because you adopted us into your family when we were lost and we were far away. So it's just natural for us to do the same for others. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.